0: Hello and welcome to Sound of the Moment. I'm your host, Pat Cleaver, and this is the bi-weekly show featuring conversations with musicians about jazz, music, and more. Come back every second Monday to hear new episodes and subscribe in iTunes or add the show to your RSS feed in order to automatically download the new episodes as soon as they get released. For more information, detailed show notes and links, you can visit soundofthemoment.com. And if you like what you hear and you feel like supporting the show, please give us a favourable review or rating in iTunes. This should boost the visibility of the show and help other listeners to find it. You can follow me on Twitter at Pat Cleaver, and you can also look for the Sound of the Moment page on Facebook. This is episode number 8 for 29th of January 2018. Today's guest is the American trumpet player Alison Phillips. She leads a trio that features bassist Alessandro Fongao and drummer Robin van Rijn. Their self-titled debut EP was released on Allison's own label Fleaboy Records, so let's hear a track from that now. This one is called Wheel. was music from Alison Phillips, trumpeter. She is my guest today. Alison, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Um, I think, well, I always like to start by asking people to introduce themselves a bit and, and talk about their background and what, what it is that they do and stuff. Maybe you can...
1: Sure. Uh, so, I'm a trumpet player. Um, I am originally from the US. I grew up in a town called South Orange, New Jersey, which mm-hmm. is Quite a hotbed actually for jazz musicians, and um, a lot of it's a really good commuting town for to get to Manhattan. So a lot of guys live out there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I started playing trumpet when I was like nine years old or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I sort of just decided I wanted to play the trumpet. I had been exposed to a lot of like Louis Armstrong stuff as a kid. Okay. And I just sort of like decided that was yeah. going to be what <laughs> I wanted to do. Um, so yeah, and then I in I probably like around my first year of high school, I started really getting into jazz and I did uh the kind of, there was a program at uh, in Newark called NJ Jazz for Teens, okay. uh, which was run by Don Braden at the time. So yeah. uh that was sort of like the beginning of my um jazz education.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and um then uh, and I was also studying with a guy named Tatum Greenblatt, who's a super killing trumpet player. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then I did my bachelor's at the new school and yeah. I came out here. Uh, so. Yeah. Um, yeah. so what,
0: what was that before we get to where you're at now, what, mm-hmm. what was that whole thing like? What is the, the experience of studying the new school like? Cause I haven't gotten to speak to that many people who've done it. Um, it seems like a sort of somewhat legendary institution to a lot of people, I think, especially over in Europe, um. How was that? Yeah. How did you experience that?
1: The New School is awesome. Yeah. It's uh, super diverse, um, both, I think, musically and, uh, you know, in terms of different, like, people coming from all over the place. The New School has a really high international student population, which you don't find so much at, I think, a lot of the U.S. conservatories. I mean, I guess Berkeley. But um, it's also really cool because you're connected to all these other colleges. So you have Parsons, which is like a really famous art school. So you get to meet a lot of really cool visual art people and Mm -hmm. fashion people and stuff like that. Um, And then also the faculty at New School, like Reggie Workman is the head of the program and Jane Ira Bloom, um, who are both just like incredibly inspiring individuals. Um, And yeah, they really give you room to kind of do, develop on your own and do what you want to do. Um, there is a core curriculum there, of course, but yeah. it's not nearly as like, uh, you have to, you know, yeah. play Coltrane changes over all of these things. Like, I don't know. I get the feeling that compared to a lot of the other New York conservatories, yeah. you can kind of stretch out and grow. And I think it really affects the alumni that come out of there.
0: Yeah, I always heard that the like Manhattan school experience, especially for people coming from Europe who are not used to that kind of discipline is just bashing you over the head with constant assignments and constant
1: Yeah, signing. I don't know. I never went there. So yeah. Like I never did. I didn't do their pre-college program either, but um Yeah, I mean, of course, tradition is very important, but it's yeah. also especially I think once you get to the college level, it's important to also, I was able to study with um, the great Lori Frank um, my mm-hmm. first couple years at New School because they have this really awesome program. where yeah. you can study with whoever you want.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, if you you have to like test out of proficiency first, but okay. um who? Yeah, she was like a super important person um, for my development. And then yeah. later, I uh, my primary teacher was Ingrid Jensen. Yeah, who? Great. Yeah, she's like total guru, <laughs> like amazing lady.
0: Yeah, those are two kind of really important figures, I think, in the. Yeah, for the whole like new trumpet totally, scene, totally um, cool. And then, what so, why you came and studied the Masters in Amsterdam? What what made you decide to do that? Was
1: uh, it was pretty random, yeah. Well, so my last couple of years, I was taking lessons with Ingrid, and I was taking lessons with a guy named Chris Jowdis, who is like the probably one of the greatest lead trumpet players on mm-hmm. the scene. He always has like a Broadway gig, or you know, he's like the first call, yeah, okay. And he's on the faculty at Juilliard, and he tried. He wanted me to go to Juilliard to do my master's, mm-hmm. and um, Ingrid was like, you know, I spent a lot of time in Europe when I was your age, and it was really amazing for my, like, creative development, and I'm friends with this guy named Rude Brules, mm-hmm. uh, who teaches in Amsterdam. You should yeah. apply there. So I came in fourth at Juilliard, and they took three, <laughs> okay. and I got in here. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, that's sort of the, it was quite random. It wasn't yeah. much thought that I didn't really, I hadn't been very researched, you know, about yeah
0: coming here but so how how have you experienced that though because it started with something random but you have now somewhat integrated into the scene here and and you're doing a lot of stuff here and and it seems like you clearly there's no regrets right so how how do you experience the differences and and what how do you feel like Amsterdam is
1: I mean it was I think really great for me to come here because I knew no one like I really had like it wasn't like I had one friend that I could stay with for a couple weeks while I looked for an apartment. Like if I hadn't gotten student yeah. housing immediately, I would have been com- completely screwed. Yeah. Um,
0: That's a common experience. Yeah, <laughs> so. it, it totally is. But also
1: like I had no professional connections here either. Yeah. So I really had to like get here and go to sessions. And my first year I went to jam session, like almost every night, you Mm -hmm. know, I was really, and played at those jam sessions. Whereas Mm -hmm. in New York, it was always like I was from the area. I didn't really have to start from scratch so much, not Mm -hmm. to say that I was the most busy trumpet player in New York Mm -hmm. at all, but it, things were just sort of appearing in front of me. Whereas here it was like, I really had to hustle. Yeah. Um, also I couldn't rely on the side man card. So I, it was really, um, amazing, like in terms of starting my own projects and writing my own music, I wrote way more music in the past three years I've lived here than like all of the years I lived in New York or New Jersey
0: combined. Cool. And so, yeah, speaking of being a leader, you, um, so we just heard music from your trio, um, from a self-titled, um, EP, the Alison Phillips trio, which is, Trumpet bass drums, um, well, first of all, I've asked this question to quite a few people, I think because I, I encounter a lot of horn players that play without a harmonic instrument, but mm-hmm. what why that format? what is it about that that appeals to you?
1: uh I really like the timbrel quality yeah. um you know it's also you of course have a lot more like harmonic freedom and flexibility uh but I think one of the first albums that like really uh kind of stuck to me when I was in a high school and like really starting to get into jazz was, um, uh, the Avishai Cohen, um, trio album called the trumpet player. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which he was titled that, you know, to differentiate him yeah. with <laughs> yeah. the bass player. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like still to this day, that album, that sound is just really, um, it's really stuck with me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I kind of always wanted to have a trio. Yeah. Um, yeah, it wasn't really something also, I, I don't really plan these things very well.
2: <laughs> I had okay. a
1: set when I got here, I, um, Alessandro Fongaro and, yeah. uh, Robin van Rijn were yeah. like two of the first guys I met here. Really. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Robin, we met at a jam session, um, at uh, the pepper, <laughs> oh, <yeah>. which <laughs> is kind of hilarious now. Um, and Alessandro, we met. We had ensemble together or something. Okay. But so I just met both of these guys, and I was like, wow, these guys sound great, and yeah. they're also really fun guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we just, like, had a session, and I brought, like, one or two of my tunes, and it just sort of worked.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and then I just never really thought about it. It wasn't necessarily, like, I was writing for Trio. It just kind of... That was this how it happened,
0: sort of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it seems to me like you're... You compose stuff that's very sort of melodic-based, so I, I think it, it, well, to say that it works has been maybe an obvious statement, but um, it seems like an ideal format to me somehow. It leaves a lot of space also. Like you say, the, the timbre qualities, um, tone seems like something that's really important in your music, like mm-hmm. both the actual trumpet tone and, and Alessandro's sound is incredible as well, and, and, and Robin's sound's great.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, Um what is you... You speak about how you've been writing a lot more. What is your, what does your compositional process actually look like? So you say you didn't write specifically for trio, but then again, that I think it's somewhat necessary to write to.
1: Yeah. After the first couple tunes, I then have started writing more for trio. I, um, especially with trio, I try to have keep them. Yeah. I try to keep the melodic concepts really strong. Um, uh, I have this tune called Wheel, which I think it started with the bass line, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I expanded upon that. Um, it de- it depends, really. Uh, when I got here, I was just also super inspired, I think, just by, like, how pretty it is here and how, mm-hmm. you know, uh, y- you bike around in, like, the north, you know, on, along yeah. with the dyke houses and all that stuff. And I think that was just, like, a lot of... Um, compositional inspiration just sort of came from the surroundings of being here. Um,
0: but so do but you? Do you sit at the piano to compose? Yeah. Or, okay. Totally. Even though there's not going to be a piano involved, do you.
1: Yeah. Do you, well, I, luckily, I'm not good enough of a piano player to really <laughs> play. Yeah. Um,
0: I, I always find that that's somewhat of an advantage. Yeah. Because if you are a good piano player, you play. You end up writing good piano music but if you're not you end up writing strange piano music um, yeah it's especially if you're not actually writing for a piano player in the first place I suppose it, it it's helpful um and so how did you how did you go about recording this um you um it it seems to me like it's a fairly easy thing to to set up a recording with a, with a trio like this what was the where do you do it and how etc
1: yeah this one we recorded um at the cva uh, with That's Lex conservatory. Yeah. The conservatory. Yeah. So those yeah. Don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, it was, it, it was, uh, at the conservatory in Von Hamster. I had, um, some hours that I needed to use because okay. we get these. <laughs> and so, and so I was like, okay, let's do this. And then, um, uh, yeah. Yes. So we did it in separate rooms, yeah. which actually probably I wouldn't do again. Okay. I would probably do it all in the same room. Yeah. Um, but I guess in that in that studio, it works quite well, yeah, um, but yeah, and then it was mixed by a friend of mine in New York, okay, um, so, yeah, it wasn't really a complicated. It's quite easy to re- record trio, yeah. I think it's hard to get the more I record, the more I realize like how hard it is to get a really nice trumpet sound,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um like you can a trumpet can sound so bad, like depending (laughs) on who records it, you know, no matter who the player is, I guess with any instrument, but, um,
0: yeah. I mean, can you elaborate on that? How exactly would you say it? What are the, what about a trumpet sounds bad? I mean, how,
1: it can just sound like super, like it has like, I don't know, a lot of people put way too many highs and then it just sounds really like, like piercing or if it's like too many lows, it's super like blatty. And then, Like articulation can get weird and like the way it blends with yeah. um like mixing is so important. It's it's been a really interesting the past couple of years I've been recording a lot more and it's mm-hmm. like really interesting to see like yeah. what effects
0: yeah. And I was going to say, so you released an EP, which, yeah. um, it has four tracks on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, now you say you, you had a few hours in the studio, so maybe that's one of the reasons, but what was the, is that the main reason that you chose to record four, um, four tracks instead of making actual full album?
1: Yeah. I mean, it was like, I think we had eight hours or something and, you know, with okay. setup and breakdown and everything, yeah. um, I really wanted to get four really good Mm
2: -hmm.
1: instead of trying to squeeze like six tracks or seven tracks. I think we had less than eight hours. It was probably more like six hours. Yeah. Yeah, it was just sort of it seemed like a feasible amount and to really like get the most out of the session. Mm -hmm. I've had other sessions where we've tried to like squish, you know, uh, yeah, like record like eight tracks in one day. And that just Mm -hmm. for me. Also, it's really um, taxing to play trio uh, as a trumpet player. So it's, if you really try to cram that many tunes in and you're doing, you know, multiple takes of all of them, it's just it's not going to sound good.
0: Yeah, in okay. My experience. But so but then you 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 still chose to then release it as as its own thing of just four tracks and not say okay, well I'll wait until I go in the studio again and do more or
1: Yeah. Um I think those four tracks are also tunes I wrote like you know within these past I think I wrote them like a about two years ago, all of that stuff. Yeah, um, and it was stuff that like I had a feeling in the next six months or nine months I would probably want to move on from. Yeah. So it wouldn't. I just didn't think it made sense really to wait. And,
0: yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you just documented the moment and then yeah, and then move it on. seemed
1: like a good thing um, to get out there.
0: Yeah, and so you you released this on your own label. Yeah. Um, The Boy Records, which is something I like to talk about quite mm-hmm. a bit because, um, I guess to me, the, maybe the most important topic regarding that is the whole DIY culture that that we have nowadays. Um, it seems like there's, there's, well, there are a lot of opportunities, but there's never enough opportunities for musicians. Um, and so part of it is just that we have to create our own opportunities and make our own stuff. That's also part of where, what this podcast comes out of, which is, I think, um, we need to, you know, if we're passionate about something, we need to take it in our own hands and, and run with it. Um, what what made you decide to start a label? Like, how, is it that?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, kind of. I One of the things I've noticed uh, moving from New York to the Netherlands is in New York and in the U.S. in general, we really don't have, like, arts funding. Yeah. Except for the, you know, jazz at Lincoln Center Orchestra or something, but yeah, really yeah, yeah. for jazz, there's no funding. But, but
0: even that is probably just private investors, I imagine, right?
1: Like, I no, actually, I believe they get some state funding.
0: Okay, right.
1: Um, I don't know the specifics, but I'm yeah. quite positive that they probably get,
0: a lot less nowadays. But yeah, still, yeah,
1: totally. Um, but the thing is, in the U.S., like, we never had that. So people are just kind of used to having to pay. If you go to a jazz club, you have Mm -hmm. to pay, you know, a pretty steep cover and you have to pay for every set. And, um... But also because of this, there's, like, this huge DIY culture in Brooklyn. There's all this, you know, all these loft shows. I mean, since, like, the 70s, and yeah, probably before. Even earlier
0: than that. Yeah, the loft yeah. scene in the 50s was already a thing, Exactly.
1: Right? So maybe not in Brooklyn, probably more yeah, in the village at the time. But, yeah. but um, yeah, so there's all these, like, really cool, like, house concerts and things happening. And yeah. it's it's just part of the culture. Um Whereas I came, when I got here, it's like, I feel like I was, I arrived sort of at the tail end of this golden era of subsidies, or I guess that they were already done. Um, And I, but I feel like a lot of people or a lot of venues kind of have this attitude, like, well, there's no subsidies anymore, so we're just not going to do anything at all. Yeah. So I feel like it's really cool to be here right now because Mm. there is this culture of the younger generation actually starting to get stuff going because yeah. we have to yeah. we have no choice mm-hmm. so we started flea as kind of an an answer to this yeah. um we try to curate um we usually do concerts in um i have a rehearsal space uh with robin and um robin van Ryan and yeah. we uh have been sort of curating these like uh, flea container sessions okay um and, you know, we're always looking for spaces yeah. to curate these concerts. Um, mm-hmm. And they've been sort of a mix of us playing our stuff um, as well as uh, we've invited... We had Ben Van Gelder came and did, like, a solo set yeah. once. Um, yeah, we have a, a new album coming out um, with uh, Marcos um, yeah. um And so he came and did something... Um, yeah, so there's been like we've been trying to get that going. We're also not the most organized and we're all busy with our yeah. own stuff. So it's been kind of a slow climb, but we're slowly <laughs> getting stuff. But
0: so that you know, there's there is a a live concert promoter sort of aspect to this as well. Exactly. Yeah. Um but then how like the actual label aspect of it? Mm-hmm. Is it is it just we put a sticker on all of these different projects that we believe in and then you work as a collective, right? Yeah. yeah.
1: There's like five of us, um, currently. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we kind of, we have, we try to do, basically we try to promote, um, our projects, like basically just kind of like we're stronger as a unit than, um, than alone, you know? So if five of us are sharing things and, you know, also the, the flea boy page and, you know, so we don't, I mean, we're not like uh, ECM or something. No, but um, nobody is. So yeah, fine. exactly. <laughs> um, but you know, we don't charge our artists to be on the label. Yeah. Anything. Um, we the artists, you know, of course, are there because we don't really have much income coming in. You also have to pay if you want to print your stuff yourself. Yeah. But it's mm-hmm. up to you. Yeah. But yeah, the ideas were kind of like a, a network. Yeah. Um, more than a formal record label. And, you know, yeah, we try to help each other get publicity and, you know, just kind of spread the word.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But so what, um, musically speaking, do you feel like there's a Fleaboy identity or is it, is it something that is just because it's five individuals, everybody has different stuff? Like, how would you define?
1: It's a little all over the place. Um, it's definitely, we only put out original music. Yeah. Okay. Um, we have some stuff, um, uh, for example, like the stuff that Pedro Branco, who was one of the co-founders, mm-hmm. um, has put out, like is a, definitely a little more on the like free um, side. Yeah. Um, my stuff can be a little in between. Um, mm-hmm. And then we have like Leah Gregorian, who is just like beautiful piano trio. Yeah. Awesome
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then we have. Yeah, we have. We're definitely a little more. Towards the, like, I would say we're free, but melodic.
0: Okay. (laughs) That's, um, yeah. Everybody should be free to be melodic. Exactly. that's also part of freedom. Yeah. Um, no, that makes sense to me. Like when, when I was listening to your, your EP, um, yesterday, it really struck me that that's, there is a beautiful balance there between the free playing and the melodic approach and also the melodic approach in the free playing, Mm -hmm. um, is that. Yeah, I mean I don't know if you can elaborate on that a bit. Um
1: Yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm like I've always been super sound oriented. Mm-hmm. Um and then I think with good sound comes good melodies. Yeah. Um I've never been someone who's like you know, trying to just like play uh super fast lines all the time. You know, I yeah. don't know. It's I I think it it comes from like the music I've listened to. I have a lot of influence from like also just like Americana, like folk stuff. Um, I have a really big soft spot for country music. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to
0: say, we we should probably address that because out of four tunes on your EP, one of them is a cover and it is a very unlikely cover in my opinion. Um, Saginaw, Michigan, right? Um, this is a lefty Frizzell tune. It's like a country song from the sixties or something.
1: Yeah. Johnny Cash, like kind of made it famous. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I had a huge Johnny Cash phase, like kind of Somewhere, it started, like, probably my, like, last to second to last year at the new school. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's just kind of hasn't stopped. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, and, and I mean, though, it's, it's co- quite challenging to play these pieces as an instrumentalist because they're super simple. Yeah. So it has to all be about, like, vibe. Otherwise, they just don't really work Mm -hmm. Um, because the melody is like incredibly simple. But it's like, how can I make this melody sort of sound like it's being sung, but without words? Um, So I've done over the years, I've tried to arrange quite a few. um, Also some like Loretta Lynn tunes and stuff like that. And some have worked out better than others. (laughs) (laughs) But it's really fun, fun to do. And
0: is that something that... um that your fellow musicians relate to as well? Like it seems to me like, um, I mean, I, I personally actually do really enjoy country music, but I feel like it's not something that people relate to much in Europe. Um, or maybe more nowadays. I don't know. Like there's a now- bit of a,
1: yeah, it's getting hip. I think. Yeah. <laughs>
0: it, sort of a, a, a post Mumford and Sons world where people, um, playing banjos is cool again. Yeah. Um,
1: I don't know. I mean, a lot of my friends, from my bachelors are definitely very into it. Yeah. Um, the guitar player that's in uh, my other band, uh, the DeCon Phillips Collective, is yeah. a really good friend of mine named Lewis Cohen, mm-hmm. who's, um, you know, he plays like uh, lap steel and yeah. stuff. I mean, he's, you know, he's super into it. Uh, mm. And a lot of guys like from New School. A lot of the guitar. It's funny. Like a lot of times, guitar players I meet can be very influential in my uh, musical development. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just like what, uh, they listen to, I feel like usually influences me quite a bit as well.
0: Is guitar players specifically like what, why? I don't
1: know. I, well, like, so my friend Lewis is like, uh, he was one of my roommates in new school and I don't, he, uh, um, yeah, his like taste in music definitely mm-hmm. rubbed off on me quite yeah. a bit. And then also, um, with Pedro, who Bronco, who I play with quite a bit, yeah, his, I think it's because they know like all the hip indie bands. Yeah. And like <laughs> <laughs> That's possible. You, yeah.
0: Typically if you come at jazz from from the place of playing the guitar, um, there's two ways of going about it, right? Either you come from that hip indie thing or like the rock thing or whatever, or yeah. you're one of those weirdos who fell in a jazz bath when he was a kid. But exactly. Like,
1: no, in not most, those guitar players. I'm yeah, not talking
0: about yeah. them. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with them. No, um, there's nothing wrong. <laughs> it's,
1: um,
0: it's also an important aspect of things. But it is interesting to me that, like, um, you talk about the guitar. Um, we should probably talk about this other project of yours. Yeah. Um, because I heard a couple of tracks from that as well, and um, that's the guitar in that band specifically plays a really interesting role, which is a, a much more soundscapey, yeah,
2: um,
0: almost electronic um, approach, which mm-hmm. I always find really refreshing. Cause I, I think to me, that is the fact that you can do that as a guitar player means that, uh, well, not that you should do it, mm-hmm. but it's a, it's an underutilized thing. I think, well, maybe less nowadays, but it, it has been historically an underappreciated side of the guitar, which is that it can just make a lot of noise. And that's totally cool.
1: Awesome. It's awesome.
0: Um, so yeah, um, g- g- could you talk a bit about the, this this other project? Yes.
1: The yeah. So this other project is a little bit. We're a bit of a mess because. Um, so I live in Amsterdam most of the time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Mike DeCant, the co-leader, is a bass player and he's from uh, the Toronto area. Okay. So and he's been kind of in and out of the New York area. Yeah. He actually lives in my old room in Brooklyn.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> but
1: um, yeah. So and, and uh, it's a very it's like all my best bros, basically. Yeah. Um, and he's a really great composer and bass player um, as well. And, uh, then we have two drums. Yeah. So we have Alex Kirkpatrick and Connor Parks, yeah. um, who are both super different drummers, mm-hmm. um, and like unique and special in their own way. And, th- and these, I think play together in like a really interesting way.
0: Yeah. That's quite an unusual thing. I think, um, I mean, there has been a couple of bands recently. I mm-hmm. guess Joe Lovano had a band like that for a while. Um, but I think outside of maybe, like, the Ornette stuff. Yeah. Um, it's quite an unusual format. Is it, like, what is the reason for that? Is it just that you... We just like it, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> we. I think we had a session once, like, maybe two years ago. Yeah. Three years. This band was, like, formed after I moved. Okay. Um, and it was... I came home at, like, Christmas time, and we just had a session, and it was kind of like, oh, well, we really like Connor, and we also really like Alex, so maybe yeah. let's just try to play with them. And, um, I think like my composition style with Mike's composition style is, we're also kind of different, but also very, both very melodically centered and, um, very kind of groove, not, not groove in like a literal sense, but Mm. all this stuff, this record I'm super excited about because like all the tunes like are super like he listens like, oh, cool. And I haven't had any records that really, <laughs> you know, okay. um, that really do that as yeah. well. I guess people can't see, but I'm, I'm dancing. Yeah, you know, no, no.
0: So it's not a visual medium, but you can trust us on that. Yeah. Um, so you say that they're two very different drummers. Could you maybe elaborate on that? Like, how? In what sense are they different? Like, to make two complementary drummers must require something.
1: Yeah, I mean. Um, well, Alex is definitely, um, I mean, both went to jazz school and both are totally competent jazz drummers. Um, Alex definitely does much more of like the kind of indie rock stuff these days. Okay. Um, and a lot more of his own music. Connor is kind of like the guy that everyone calls, Mm -hmm. um, no matter the style (laughs) and, um, so they're both, yeah, they're just super different. But I think the way they play together, it's, you know, it's not really like you're listening to two drummers. You know, mm. they're not, it's not like super loud or anything. It's no. actually quite, can be quite soft at times, but mm. there's, you know, just really listening to each other and playing together. And Yeah,
0: it's just the way it's mixed is quite interesting because it's that that sort of extreme mixing choice that, like, maybe even harkens back to the Beatles or whatever. When you had, like, one thing is... Panned extreme left. The other is panned extreme right. Yeah, um, which I suppose is kind of necessary. I think the Ornette records mm-hmm. with the double quartet is is a similar story. Um, it's quite cool and it's quite an unusual thing to hear. I think um, nowadays.
1: Yeah, UN, um uh, I can never pronounce his last name. Tremlon. He's who is also a good friend of. He mixed my trio record and yeah. he also recorded and is mixing us. Okay. Um, and he's great. He's from New Zealand. Okay. Um, and but he lives in New York now. Yeah. Um, but we the way we recorded this record was also quite stealthy. I'm quite proud of us. We um, kind of actually I don't even know if I'm allowed to talk about this, but I think it's okay. We <laughs> we'll edit we'll
0: so, out anything incriminating.
1: Yeah. We so Lewis Cohen, uh, the guitar player, works in the equipment office at the New School now. Okay. <laughs> um. And so at the New School. At, there is a new room that was built after I graduated, which is actually now the home of the stone. Okay. Which is yeah. like a really beautiful glass box um space in the new yeah, school. Because yeah, they
0: had to move right. Yeah.
1: Then. So the stone is now in the new school. Yeah. So we kind of checked out that room for the whole day. Okay. And then Yuan works for NYU <laughs> in their recording <laughs> yeah. department. Mm-hmm. And so we went with a granny cart to NYU and <laughs>
2: took a bunch <laughs> to of microphones.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like really nice microphones. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, we recorded an album. Yeah, so it was quite uh, also very DIY. Yeah,
0: it comes back to that. Yeah, I
1: and it's all in the same room and everything.
0: Yeah, So no overdubs.
1: It's all it's all real. Yeah, nice. Yeah,
0: um, and so you, like you said, you are based in Amsterdam right mm-hmm. now. Is that well, you're somewhat based in between because I know you 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 fly back and forth a bit. But mm-hmm. is that do you? Not that you have to have made a decision, obviously, but like, do you feel like, do you feel like there's a place that, that you're going to be on a permanent basis or is it? I don't know yet. Yeah.
1: Um, I would like to be more, uh, what is it? Bicontinental? Bicoastal? I guess By
0: Bicoastal is an American thing. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. do that if-
1: But they're technically both on coasts, so they could be.
0: Yeah, I suppose. Yeah.
1: I don't know. I would like to be back and forth more often than I am. Yeah. Um, but that's expensive. So, but yeah, at some point I'll probably have to pick, but for now I'm quite satisfied being based here. The quality of life in the Netherlands is a little higher.
0: Yeah. I can imagine.
1: Especially on like a musician's salary. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, is there, is there any work that you're doing here, um, as a sideman for example that that you'd like to discuss like I, I know you're quite involved in in the big band thing there's a lot of big band I mean I, I guess if you're a horn player that's kind of a likely thing to end up doing um
1: yeah I've been playing a lot of big band lately yeah. <laughs> which is great yeah. um I've always liked playing in big bands and even in New York I uh I was playing in a lot of big bands um Yeah, I guess as a horn player. Um, I'm in uh, Philip Rutgers. uh, He has a band called Phil's Phil's Music Lab.
2: Okay.
1: um, Which he's a German piano player who Mm -hmm. just moved to Amsterdam, but he was living in Arnhem for a while.
2: Okay.
1: Um, And that's a pretty cool band. Uh, Felix Schlarman's on drums. um, Yeah. And uh, Tobias... uh, uh, Nye, oh my God. Nibor. Nibor, <laughs> yeah. Uh, is on bass <laughs> yeah. and, um, it's a, there's four horns. It's pretty cool. Oh, wow. It's pretty awesome. Um, and we like, we've been, we've got some gigs coming up in the next okay. year and we just put out a record and it's really nice. Cool. Um, Phil, Philip is a really amazing composer. Yeah. Um, so yeah. There's that.
0: Yeah. And I mean, is there? Um, besides, so you, you, obviously you say you've got this, this album coming out with, mm-hmm. with this New York based thing. Um, is there any other stuff you can ex- we can expect from you in the near future? Like is the trio, um, you're obviously still promoting the EP, so it's not like you need to immediately be releasing more, but like what, what's in the future with, with those guys?
1: Yeah, I definitely would like to record a full length album. Yeah. I'm just sort of, you know, gathering funds mm-hmm. for it. Um, but yeah, we're just trying to play as much as possible.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, uh, we've got some stuff coming up, which is nice. Um yeah, it's I'm I'm sort of I've been doing a lot more as a side man here lately. Mm-hmm. So I've been kind of not as occupied with my own things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely I would like to record a full length album at some point okay. in the near future.
0: Cool. Well, I'm sure we'll be in touch about that. Um If and when it happens. Yeah, yeah, so uh, to to sort of round off the show, I like to ask people if there's anything that maybe outside of music, maybe inside music that they like to recommend people check out. It could be a book, a movie, um, anything like that.
1: Um, On this sort of Amsterdam, New York stint, there's a really great book that was given to me by a friend of mine before I moved here called... um, Amsterdam, the world's most liberal city. It's written by this guy, Russell Shorto.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think I've read
1: that. It's, yeah, it's, I think it's maybe about 10 years old now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's really fascinating. And now I'm actually reading his more recent publication, which is called, is it called, like, The Island at the Center of the World? Or it's, it's basically, it's about the Dutch influence in manhattan yeah. in new york city
0: yeah because he's a he's a new yorker who is n- who moved to amsterdam right yeah story. but i
1: think he might live back in new york now yeah but yeah that's sort of how it goes and it's really fascinating and yeah. like it was really great to read the amsterdam book before move like right before i was moving here yeah i it think really it makes so much sense
0: it dispels some of the myths about the place as well as yeah um, um yeah, it has some interesting stuff in it, right? Like it also has like some historical stuff about Yeah, I
1: mean it's a history um, book.
0: Yeah, 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 but like a lot of occupation, Second World War stuff, Yeah, um, stories that you know, the Anne Frank like stuff. everything surrounding that. And um yeah, nice pick. Yeah, it's a um, good thing. <laughs> cool. Um Alison, thanks a lot for doing this. No um, problem. It was nice to have you on the show. And um well, yeah, if uh, if you want to come back on when you have the um, album or albums or whatever it is you're up to or talk about any other Fleaboy related stuff um, totally please uh, be my guest
1: (laughs) thanks thanks for listening
0: to my conversation with Alison Phillips there'll be more music from her and the Descant Phillips Collective at the end of the show for those of you that are listening to this around when it comes out and happen to be in the Rotterdam area. Alison's trio will be performing at Dimashinist on the 25th of February. That's 2018, so if you're further down in the future when you hear this, um, I'm afraid you've missed it. Please visit salamom.com to find show notes and links to Alison's website, where you'll find more tour dates and and that kind of stuff. And there'll also be a link to the Fleaboy Records page, where you can find... um, well, all the music that's on their catalogue. You can buy Alison's Records and also all of the other um, albums by the various Boy artists. And there's a lot of good stuff there. So I recommend you go check it out. I'd like to thank my fellow members of k for providing intro and outro music as always. If you have any questions or comments, I'd love to hear them. So don't hesitate to reach out to me. You can do that at Packley on Twitter or on the Sound of the Moment page on Facebook. Best way to support the show is still to add it to your RSS feed or subscribe in iTunes and give it a favourable review or rating there. And, well, obviously you can also just tell somebody you know who might be interested in listening to the show. That's the best way to grow the audience. Finally, I'd like to mention that Allison's new project, The Daycont Phillips Collective, have a new record coming out very soon, and you should be able to find it at the Fleaboy Records page. So, keep an eye out for that. And I'm excited to give you a sneak preview of a track that will be on that record, that EP. This one is called September Number One. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Sound of the Moment.